When I was a kid growing up, my family always tended to go to the beach for vacations. So when we lived in the Carolinas, we used to go to Myrtle Beach, we went to Hilton Head. Then we moved to the great state of Texas, we would go to Galveston and South Padre. So growing up, I spent a lot of time outdoors in the sun. Those were the good old days. Instead of using sunblock, you used baby oil and that terrific smelling Hawaiian tropic from the early 80s to get greased up to increase the amount of sun that your body was soaking in. And at that time, I didn't know what was going on. I was blissfully unaware of what was happening to me and my skin. And later on though, as you know, if you don't go to see your dermatologist, you can get major skin damage. So this past week, I went to see my dermatologist and he zapped off several precancerous spots on my head. I got one there. If you're wondering what that is, that's not a Marilyn Monroe beauty mark. I'm not self-identifying as her today. Not today. And then I have another spot back here. I've got a Band-Aid there, kind of like Marsalis and Pulp Fiction that's covering up that one. And I have one right here in my scalp that's gross. I'm trying to cover it up with the thin gray slash white hair that I have. So again, how did I get these spots, these precancerous on my face? And simply, I didn't know. Again, I was unaware. I was soaking in the sun. I thought I was getting tan. Little did I know I was developing these precancerous things that would manifest much later on. Um, as, as I look at what we've been talking about the last several Sundays and weekends, I see that as kind of a precancerous, and, and, and I see our culture, I see our country, I see the church as being blissfully unaware of this cancerous ideology that's been seeping into the university, seeping, seeping into colleges, seeping into seminaries, and now it's really throughout our culture today. And if you've been joining us and enjoying this technology of the chalkboard, I'm not gonna go through all of Marxism, postmodernism, and critical theory, okay? If you wanna catch that out, you can go on the YouTube. There's this new thing called YouTube where you can watch videos. So anyway, just put in one of these titles and my name and it'll pop up on there. So, but, but the cancer that I think that's been growing as you take Marxism, which again is a deadly destructive idea. And if you don't believe Marxism, communism, socialism, whatever you wanna call it is deadly, talk to someone who lives here from Venezuela. Talk to someone who lives here from Vietnam. Talk to someone who lives here, who's in one of the Eastern Bloc countries or survived the Soviet Union. Ask them what it was like to live in that society and to live under that rule. Just ask them. That's all you have to do is ask, okay? So you have Marxism combined with postmodernism, which is this relativistic philosophy, which has led to critical theory. 
again, critical theory is kind of what's in right now. It's kind of given a political and cultural focus to all this. And what it's led to, I believe, is what I want to call neo-Marxism. It's simply a new form of Marxism that is hammered away, hammered away at two values in the United States and the Western world that, that are just basic. What values am I talking about? Free speech and freedom of religion, free religion. When you live in a society that has these totalitarian tendencies, they're going to hammer, pun intended, hammer free speech and hammer freedom of religion every single time. And it's happening right now, right in front of our eyes on live TV and right on your phone, right on your computer in HD. It's happening all around us. If you speak out, if you speak your opinion, if you push back intellectually or theologically or culturally, you will be shut down, shouted down, silenced. And many times your job and your career will be in jeopardy. I don't want to live in a culture like that. I don't want to live in a country like that. I don't want to live in a world like that where we are constantly walking on eggshells. Houston is a phenomenal city. I love our city. Yes. Yes. Houston rocks. It's a great city. We're the fourth largest city in the United States. We're the most ethnically and culturally diverse city in the United States. We surpass New York. And it's, we're the friendliest big city, I think, in the world. Except when you get on the freeway. <laughs> right? It's, what happens to us? It's crazy, right? But when we're out on the freeway, everything's great. And we've been through a lot of tragedies together, a lot of catastrophes, and it's amazing to see our city come together. I mean, in this very church, during uh, one of the disasters, we trained over 42,000 Houstonians in disaster relief. Muslims, Jews, Christians, Baha'i, Buddhists, atheists, agnostics. People from all over the world came here that are Houstonians to help make a difference. That's the kind of city that we live in. Why is everybody come to Houston from all over the world? Why, when you look around our worship service right here, do you have probably, I don't know, 35 different nations and countries represented. People come here because there's freedom. Because there's freedom of speech, there's freedom of religion, there are free markets, and it gives you and your family an opportunity to grow and to live in this free world and free country. But that is under threat right now. We're in a precarious place in our society primarily because of a small group of people who've infiltrated our world with these neo-Marxist ideologies and thoughts that are absolutely devastating and destructive, especially when it comes to free speech and freedom of religion. Os Guinness, okay, not the beer, but the philosopher, Os Guinness, 
says this about where we are in our culture as far as freedom of speech and freedom of religion. He says you have three basic groups of people with three different emphasis. You have the, remove, you have the reducers, the removers, and the rebranders. The reducers are those who want to reduce religious freedom and freedom of speech, if you would really, to the confines of your synagogue, church, mosque, wherever you worship. You can have your religion, but just keep it inside the four walls of the church or your four walls of place of worship. Don't bring it into the marketplace. Don't bring it into school. Don't bring it into the government. Those are the reducers. The removers are those who want to remove all religion from society. Those can be represented by atheist fundamentalists like Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins, and they want to remove religion from, from society. They use 9-11 as an exemplar of the dangers of religion. Therefore, it is wrong, it's evil, let's remove it altogether. The third group I think are the most dangerous, and that are the rebranders. And the rebranders are the ones who want to take uh, values and absolutes that we have had in our society now for over 200 years, values like truth, equality, and justice, and pour new meanings into them. So they want to take our language, they want to take freedom of speech and freedom of religion and turn it upside down literally. They don't want free speech. They don't want debate. They want to say, you believe like I believe, you say what I tell you to say, or we're going to bring the pain to you, either economic pain or physical pain. And you say that, you say, well, maybe you're exaggerating. Well, I woke up this morning, had my coffee, opened up my phone, started reading the news a little bit that my phone was sending me. And there was a free speech rally yesterday in San Francisco, about 24 people gathered there to talk about free speech and how important it is, okay? Counter protesters showed up, around 200 people, started throwing uh, uh, water bottles and rocks over the people that were merely talking about free speech. One of the organizers of the event was named Philip Anderson. If you can get a picture of Philip, and this is what Antifa did to him just yesterday. He did nothing except talk about free speech. They knocked out one tooth and the other tooth is barely hanging there simply because he was talking about free speech. It's happening right here. It's happening in Colorado, you know, where the guy, you know, the baker named Jack from Denver who was, you know, brought before the Supreme Court because he simply, by an act of his conscience, his religious conscience would not bake a cake for someone who was having a gay wedding. Now, he won that Supreme Court, but they've come at him again with another case involving uh, the transgendered person. And so it's just a big, hot mess. When you have the government coming in and compelling people on how they are to speak and what they're to do in their private business, we are living in a dangerous place. And we've fallen prey once again, like so many countries have in the past, to the dangers of this, what I believe is a cancer called neo Marxism. Why is it appealing? Well, just like the original knock off the old block, Karl Marx himself, Marxism is based upon this claim that what others have in their life, they got it by theft. So the reason there was a bourgeois and a proletariat, a very wealthy class and a very poor class in Russia before the Soviet Union came into play is because they got what they have by stealing. 
So the critical theorists have come into play here uh, and, and since, since the 1960s, so to speak, and they said, well, the same thing can be applied to race and gender and sexual orientation and also socioeconomics. So if you have more than I do, whether it's more money or more power or more influence, you've probably got that in a corrupt way. You got that by stealing. Therefore, I'm justified in stealing back from you. I'm justified in even violence I do against you because you have oppressed me or I have the perception that I've been oppressed. That's the mentality behind it. But that's a dangerous, dangerous game to play because it's driven by a sense of resentment. It's driven by a sense of arrogance. It's driven by a sense of victimology. And victimology and playing a victim, as so many of us know here that are watching, that are here worshiping together, simply will not get you further in life. They're critics, Christian critics of critical theory, right? If you're saying, I need to find out more information, listen, you can go check out these critics. Dr. Vody Bauckham is one. Dr. Glenn, Glenn Lowry is another. Chantelle Monique Dusson is another. They have great articles. They have great interviews. You can watch, you can read about, check them out. Again, if you're saying, hey, I'm not a Christian. I think this is only a Christian thing. You're wrong. Go to the critics of critical theory like James Lindsay, who's an atheist, and Douglas Murray, who's also an atheist. What I'm talking about here, listen, is bigger than Democrat, Republican, Libertarian. It's bigger than this election. What's at stake is your freedom and my freedom, our freedom to express ourselves, our freedom to worship, our freedom to speak our mind in the marketplace of ideas in our society today. Our country was built and based upon that. Men and women have died and shed their blood because of that. That's what America's always been about. I may disagree with you. You may disagree with my religion. You may disagree with my politics, but I will fight to my death for your right to believe that. That's what America used to be like. That's what made our country great. And listen, I'm not... I'm not naive and I'm not drinking some type of crazy Kool-Aid that ignores the, you know, the evil and the injustices and the things that have happened in our country that are happening today. Absolutely, of course. But at the same time, our country is still a great country. It's still a wonderful country. We are still the leader of the free world because of the freedoms that we have, primarily freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and of course, the rule of law. All those are critical to the success of any type of democracy and free society. The men and women who founded our country, they knew this and they sought to codify this in these documents that we know as the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. But I really do fear, I really do fear for our country and for our future when the basic freedoms, basic freedoms are under attack like freedom of speech and freedom of religion. You can't even go out and have a, a, a peaceful demonstration without someone throwing bricks at you or knocking your teeth out. It's crazy, craziness. So what do we do? What do we do, what do we do, what do we do? Well, I think one of the things we need in our culture today 
uh, no matter where you stand as a Christian or agnostic or wherever you are in the religious perspective, I really think we need a renaissance of reason in our culture today. We need a renaissance of reason. So when we have disagreements, and we may be passionate about our disagreements, then we can have a reasonable, logical conversation about what we're disagreeing about and not go completely irrational and crazy. Last night in Portland, Antifa demonstrators pulled down a statue of Abraham Lincoln. Please, Antifa, open a history book and find out who Abraham Lincoln was and what he did. That makes absolutely no sense. Therefore, we've got to have this renaissance of reason. Check out Acts chapter 19, verse 8. And there are many passages I could turn to in the book of Acts today where it talked about Paul going into the marketplace, going into a time where the government was incredibly hostile against him and his message. And it said time and time again, Paul reasoned with them in the synagogue. Paul reasoned with them in the marketplace. Paul reasoned with them. He argued with them. He was trying to persuade them. Look at Acts 19.8. It said, and when he, Paul, entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Three things that we can do. Three things that we can do. We can learn from this passage. Number one, we have three R's, we have three B's. We can be reasonable. We can be reasonable. When talking about free speech, when talking about freedom of religion with our friends, our coworkers, our boss, our employees, our children, our grandchildren, we can be calm and reasonable and have a reasonable discussion. One of the guys who's been at the forefront of this whole battle in our culture today is a clinical psychologist and professor Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson was on a British TV show years ago with Kathy Newman, and they were talking about free speech. Now listen to this debate and how he calmly used reason to defend free speech. Let me move on to another debate that's been very controversial for you. Um, and this is, you got in trouble for refusing to call trans men and women by their preferred personal pronouns. No, that's not actually true. I got in trouble because I said I would not follow the compelled speech dictates of the federal and provincial government. I actually never got in trouble for not calling anyone anything. Right. That, that didn't happen. You wouldn't follow the change of law, which was designed not to outlaw discrimination. Not once it was law. No, no. Why that, well, that's your... what they said it was designed to do. Okay, uh. you cited freedom of speech in that. Why should your right to freedom of speech trump a trans person's right not to be offended? Because in order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. I mean, look at the conversation we're having right now. You know, like you're certainly willing to risk offending me in the pursuit of truth. Why should you have the right to do that? It's been rather uncomfortable. Well, I'm, I'm very glad I put you on the spot. <laughs> well, I'm you very glad that I have no, exercised my, my point. You get my point. It's like you're, you're doing what you should do, which is digging a bit to see what's going on. So and that you, is what you should do. But you're exercising you see, your freedom of speech to certainly risk offending me. And that's fine. I think you, more power to you as far as I'm concerned. So you haven't sat there and... I'm just trying, I'm just trying to work that out. I mean... 
Ha, gotcha. You have got me. You have got me. I'm trying to work that through time. my head. Yeah, yeah. It took a while. It took a while. It did. It did. Yeah. It took a while. That's rich, isn't it? Yeah. Either everyone has free speech or no one has free speech. And free speech, exactly. Free speech is necessary for democracy to thrive. The, the exchange of ideas that are different, uh, that are contraire, are necessary for the freedom of a democracy, especially in the university. How do you think we've gotten where we are as a culture, as a country, professors, students have had the freedom to explore ideas and concepts and all the sciences and all the humanities that no one else wanted to do. But when that is stopped, when that's stifled, then we have a very, very bleak situation. So we've got to use reason in our argumentation. Second of all, we've got to be persuasive. We've got to persuade. And one of the things we have to be persuasive about as Christians, the church, is to show the value of the Christian community, the church. And talk about who God says that we are. I've been trying to do this time and time again in this series, that I am an individual made in God's image. You are an individual made in God's image. There's level ground before God. There's level ground at the cross. And my connection to you and your connection to everyone in this room is based upon Christ, about being in Christ. Our identity is the fact that we are now in Christ. We have chosen to trust in him, to receive new life, to be a part of a new community where our primary identity it is not our nationality, it's not our politics, it's not our race, it's not our gender. Our primary identity is a person, a man or a woman or a young person who is now in Christ. And forgiveness and love and reconciliation is now the core of who we are. So we have to be persuasive and talking about the body of Christ and being the body of Christ and not falling prey to the language games, the vocabulary that people from this group want to draw us into. Think about the old, again, I don't know, we're talking about the 80s today, I guess I am, the old movie war games. How do you win the game? Do not play the game. I'm not going to play the game. I'm not going to play the game of dividing people up and judging people on all of these external and internal qualities that are completely arbitrary. I'm not going to play that game. The third thing we have to do, as Paul showed us, is we have to be bold. We have to be bold. Think about how bold Paul was. Think about how bold Peter was. Peter had just denied Christ three times. He was warming himself by the fire. He denied Christ. But then Peter comes up in Acts chapter 3 and 4 and he speaks boldly in public about Christ. Paul was a former persecutor. 
Paul was being hated by, his, by the Jews. He was being hated by the Gentiles. He was hated by the Romans. Talk about a man with no home, but Paul was bold. What gave them boldness? It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ appeared to them. They saw him alive from the dead. That validated all the claims that Christ made about himself. And it changed their life. The fear of death was removed. As Paul wrote in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. For me to die, bonus is gain. So as we go out into the marketplace, we have to be bold. And we can be bold, not because, wow, we're some tough guy or some tough gal. No, we can be bold because of what Christ has done for us. He is our hope. He is our strength. He is our confidence. At the same time, we have to be wise. We've got to be wise. We've got to be wise. Paul, many times when the government came down on him, he hid. He was led down in a basket. Other times, he used his Roman citizenship to try to deal with the conflict. Other times, he had to appear before the magistrates. Other times, he had to go to jail. So we live in a time in a world where we have to be wise about our boldness and wise in how we live our lives and wise about how we still use what little we have left of free speech and freedom of religion. We've got to be wise. But above all, we cannot be blissfully unaware. We cannot be blissfully unaware of what's going on. And we have to listen to God, ask him for strength, be reasonable, be persuasive, and be bold. I love the book of Proverbs. I love Proverbs. Men here... Guys, man, if you want a book of the Bible that's just going to give you some practical knowledge, go to Proverbs, man. Proverbs is awesome. Sometimes I get addicted to Proverbs and I cannot get out of it. I got to go to a 12-step group because Proverbs is so good. But there's a Proverbs, I don't know where it is, but there's a Proverbs that says this. It says, the wicked man flees. Though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. 